there aren't many stories uh, that I feel closer to than this one that you're going to hear today. I mentioned it in the episode, but reading through Bree's story beforehand and reliving it all over again was really tough because she's family and I was, you know, there, not there in person, but she called me immediately after she got the news. And so reliving it was really, really difficult, but we made it through this story. And in our usual fashion, we had plenty of laughs along the way. Not many people are lucky enough to call their sister-in-law their best friend. So I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Hi, and welcome to Motherhood Off the Rails. I am your host, Jolene. And today's story comes from one of my favorite people. I've known her the longest out of a lot of these stories that we're going to have. Um, I think we've known each other since 2012, right? 2011 or 12, yes. Yeah. So this is my beautiful, gorgeous sister-in-law, Bree. <laughs> so welcome, Bree. Thank you. I am so excited to have you here. Um, we have had and shared this story that you're going to tell everybody um, before. We haven't done it in this um, atmosphere this way. So I'm really looking forward to it. I know that none of these stories that people are sharing are easy. So I am very thankful that you are sharing with me today. So if you're ready, let's jump right in. Um, would you like to share, just start off, um, by telling us where your dream of motherhood began? So I don't think I've ever dreamed of motherhood personally. I mean, I might've as a kid, when you think about it, um, I think for me, when me and my husband got married at 25, we both did not want kids at all. Um, I think once I hit 28, something clicked for me. I don't know why me and my husband both were interested in having kids at the same time. So after you guys had um, talked about this and kind of came to the conclusion of wanting to be parents later, maybe than other people, um, when did you feel those dreams of motherhood really go off track? We, after we'd been trying for a few months, I stopped thinking about it, except for when I started my period, um, to try to have kids. So those were hard days. Um, after we had tried for about a year, I found out I was finally pregnant. I was terrified and it felt very real. Um, I don't think I was expecting to get pregnant cause we didn't, I don't think we necessarily thought that we were trying. I was very terrified. I was five weeks pregnant. When I went to the doctor a couple days later, I could hear the heartbeat. I was very nauseous and was basically bedridden. Um, three weeks later, I went to my next appointment and throughout this, um, I was in kind of just very nauseous and couldn't do anything except for sitting or laying down. Um, the ultrasound tech told me that she could not hear our heartbeat and that it was too early to know. And I was probably five weeks. And I told her that I had been here three weeks prior and that, uh, they did hear the heartbeat. Um, and I should be at eight weeks now. Uh, she never responded to me, which was very hard because I kind of knew that something was wrong. Um, and she didn't print off any photos for me. So she took me to a waiting room. Um, I was there by myself. Um, it was in the back. Um, 
And basically I was just sitting there for 30 minutes. I texted my husband telling him I was kind of worried and didn't understand what was going on. Nobody walked by, nobody said anything to me. Mm-hmm. Um, then they brought me into the, um, I guess one of the rooms, the appointment rooms. And I was alone there for 10 to 15 minutes as well sitting. And they had me sit in the chair next to this, like the table bed thing that you normally sit mm-hmm. on. So that was also a red flag to me and nobody would talk to me or say anything, which was really frustrating. Your mind was just going at a million miles an hour. Yes. Yeah. Cause in those situations, no matter how much of like a positive, happy person you are, your mind always goes to the worst. Exactly. And I think as women, we have a special intuition, um, that we know when something is wrong. Um, and so being alone, cause obviously this was kind of the tail end of COVID that's like the second part of COVID. And that was those terrible restrictions when you can only go by yourself. So I'm sure that didn't make it any better. No, he couldn't come to the first appointment. They told me I really probably wouldn't be able to have him in there at all until we had the baby. So that was frustrating. But I think through this whole thing, it was just really hard because Mm -hmm. I told him in the first appointment that something was wrong. And I was like, something's wrong. I'm nauseous. Um, My stomach hurts. I'm bedridden. Like this is, it just, something doesn't feel right. And they kept telling me this was normal. I had coworkers telling me it was normal. Mm. And to me, it did not feel normal. Um, but I think so many people have nausea. Um, I just, I wish they would have told me of what could have happened. Like, yes, miscarriage is a thing. I didn't know it was that big of a thing until I had one. Yeah. And it's, and as we'll see throughout more of these stories, it's so common. Um, and I've heard, I don't know, I've not heard like a good explanation of why they don't prepare us for that. Yeah. And maybe it's just because they don't want, they don't want you that, to worry. Yeah. Don't want you to worry. They don't want to put maybe. that fear in maybe. Um, yeah. And maybe that's a question we can jot down to ask uh, my friend that's going to hopefully come on later, the OBGYN friend that I think you talked to as well. Yeah. Um, and just ask her like point blank, why don't you guys say this early on? And maybe it would just be as simple as we don't want to instill that fear. Or even like on a pamphlet. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I think for me, like I was naive. It was at the very beginning. Of course, I wasn't looking into it much because I was so early on. So we're not necessarily going to research those things. Some people, some women probably do, but I didn't, I didn't think to research that. Yeah. And maybe just some people don't want to know, maybe they want to go in with kind of blinders on because they know what that fear and that anxiety will do to them because pregnancy in itself without the statistics blaring all around you in your face is terrifying enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go back to you're sitting in the waiting room, you're sitting in the chair rather than up on the table like they usually have you. Um, what kind of is going through your head? I feel like there was just so many things I don't remember. Like I think I just knew that something was wrong and I figured that they were gonna tell me I was gonna have a miscarriage. So I was trying not to cry because I was just there alone and uh, Jeff didn't text me back because I think he was in a meeting. So I just, I just felt so, I don't know, just out of the loop and and alone. And I was just really scared. Mm. Um, And basically she walked in and um, she's pulled up a chair right in front of me. Basically our knees were almost touching and she was like, I'm just very sorry to say that you had a miscarriage. Mm. And I just bawled my eyes out because 
I knew it, but nobody would tell me. And I didn't understand why. So basically I left, I think, I don't know if she pulled me into her office, but no, she told me I could head out because I was very emotional. And she was like, don't worry about stopping at the front, just head out. And I think what I did is I went to my car. I went to pick up my husband because we just went home. I wasn't going back to work, but I literally, as soon as I knew about it, I texted everybody that even knew that I was pregnant, Mm -hmm. that I had a miscarriage because I didn't want to relive it again. Yeah. I remember I can't remember where we were driving, but I could go back to the exact spot in the street where we were when you texted me that, um, because I was, I think I was seven or eight months pregnant. Um, and we were so excited at the same time. I know. And you had told us that not even like like a week or two before there were these emotions and excitement and dreams we had already come up with, um, with having our kids so close together. Yeah. Um, and, but I totally get like texting everybody. Cause not having to relive it. It's like, you want to send out one mass text, copy, paste, whatever you did, um, mm-hmm. and just get it all over with, and then have people respond in their own time. I think I could, I think I might've called you like right away. I, I just, I remember breaking down in the car and I think you had me call my mom and grandma too. Yeah. Cause I had told, I invited your parents down and told my parents and your parents at the same time, yeah. only a few days before that. Mm-hmm. So there was a few people that I had done that with, but I think I had told you a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm. I remember it was Valentine's weekend because we were at a cabin. We had gone away for that weekend. I remember distinctly where um Richard and I were because you had texted us you were like hey can we FaceTime real quick and I told Richard and he's like oh, I know what this means and so it's just there is no there's nothing that I can think of off the top of my head that puts you through such an emotional roller coaster as having shared such exciting news that's such a high and such devastating news in such a short amount of time is it, your emotions are already all over the place when, you know, your hormones are up and out of whack. Um, and then to have that on top of it, like it's, there's nothing like it at all. No. And I think my, uh, some of the thoughts when in the waiting room was, if it doesn't happen, did I actually want to have a kid? Like I started going into that mm-hmm. part of it because I was trying to protect myself from getting hurt. And I was like, okay, well, if this didn't happen, did I actually want it? Mm. And maybe this is just a good thing. And that's just, that was what was going through my head because I was like. Mm -hmm. So would you say that that was part of your process after like the miscarriage had been confirmed? Were there any other things that you kind of did to process through it? Basically, I don't think I really did anything. I didn't go to therapy. I basically just talked to my husband and we kind of just went through it together. I think a part of us, when we were talking about it, were kind of relieved because I think at first when I, when we were 28 and we wanted to have kids, it was like February, 2021. I think we were really into it and really interested, but like six months later when we weren't pregnant, I think that's when it was like, I don't think we were really interested. So I think we realized we didn't really want to have kids. And that might've just been a spur of the moment. Maybe we saw that other people were, and it just, Mm -hmm. I think that's probably what it was. Cause I mean, it's been 
two years since the miscarriage and it's still like not interested at all. So I would say throughout, I, th- I think for me was just not thinking about it, but also something that really helped me was talking about it to other women, even though it was really hard, but it got easier when I talked about it more because I realized how many women had miscarriage, multiple miscarriages in some cases. And that made me not feel alone because I think I felt very alone. Like I was the only one it happened to mm-hmm. like, yeah. like it was something like it was my fault is how I felt mm. something 100%. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's maybe one of the coping mechanisms that I know I defaulted to as well. Like, did I do something? Did I stretch a wrong way? Did I eat something? And it's just what we go to because it's how we maybe try to solve the problem because we want something concrete to hold on to. It's like, okay, I did this. I think I did this and it caused a miscarriage maybe. And so next time I'm not going to do that. I'm going to avoid these certain things to maybe make it not happen. But the sad reality of it, so much of the time, they don't know what causes miscarriages. A lot of the time, it's just the body like seeing that there's abnormalities and something wrong with the fetus and just like rejecting it and getting rid of it. But even hearing in the like scientific form doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't take away from the fact that you got super excited about this even if you may not have been unsure, but then you had to go through all of this pain. Did you want to go back and talk about kind of like how long it took to go through the miscarriage? Like you didn't have like a textbook. It was a hard period and then I was done. Do you want to talk about that or not? Yes. So they said I had a miscarriage. I asked them if I could get another ultrasound because I was kind of questioning it. And I didn't want to feel like I was um, aborting my child Mm -hmm. or an aborting uh, the baby inside me. So I had them do the ultrasound again. They said I did a miss or had a miscarriage. So I opted to have those pills um, that basically you put intravaginally and um, that causes you to have a miscarriage. Uh, So I did that. I had to do it two or three times and I bled for a little bit. She said it was going to be painful And it wasn't really like, to me, it was kind of just a period, Mm -hmm. but I didn't think anything of it. And it took me probably a a few weeks for the nausea and uh, all of my pain and whatever to go down. And finally I felt perfectly fine. I started a new job. I was in training and one Sunday we were watching TV and I started having contractions. And this was a month later Mm -hmm. after having the miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And it started every like 10 to 15 minutes and got so painful. I was kind of screaming, yelling, crying ish. Um, and then it went down to every five to eight minutes. This went on for six hours so far. And I started bleeding a lot more. So I kind of texted my doctor and she told me if you're bleeding through multiple pads in an hour, then you would need to go to the ER. So I waited another hour or two, and then I started bleeding a lot more through multiple pads. So went to the ER and of course stayed in the waiting room for three to four hours crying. Mm. And like, actually when I walked into the ER, I fell on the floor because I had a contraction that hurt so bad and nobody in the ER like looked at me or helped me at all whatsoever. And they just make you sit in the room for three to four hours, which sucks. Mm. And then a couple people started trickling in. There was somebody on crutches, but like everybody else was quiet. 
And I was the only one that was crying every five to 10 minutes because of my contractions. And I was trying to hide my face because I was so embarrassed. And there was a girl that I went to high school with that was there that I wasn't really friends with, but it was just more embarrassing because I didn't have makeup on. I looked really awful and I just wanted to hide. Um, Anyways, they took me and started asking me questions. They got mad at me because my mask was down because I felt so nauseous. I felt like I needed fresh air. Mm. And so they told me to put it up and it was just like, just help me. Like I'm hurting. Like it was just a really bad experience. And then they took me back. They gave me some medicine or an IV. And then they said they had to do another ultrasound for me. Well, every time they did the intravaginal ultrasound, when she would put it in, I would have a really bad contraction. Mm. And so that was agonizing in and of itself. Um, and she just felt so bad. I was bleeding everywhere. Like mm. I just, I couldn't do anything about it. Um, so I had to sit there for probably four hours. I was there till midnight. Um, we had to wait at the pharmacy to get medicine. I went home. And I think around three o'clock in the morning is when I, um, passed, uh, probably a grapefruit sized it. That's what it looked like. Maybe, maybe more mm. of an orange. Um, and to me, it looks like a baby. So that was tough. And then I just had to go back to the work in the morning and expect like nothing happened. Oh my goodness. I, I guess I hadn't heard this part before. So hearing, cause when I passed mine, it was like not even a quarter size. So it was so much smaller because I was only six weeks. But at that point, I guess technically you were like a month or two along, I guess, technically. Well, I think what they had said was I was five weeks when I first went. They Mm -hmm. said I was five weeks again when I went again. So I I think it stopped growing maybe at five or six weeks or maybe seven weeks. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, But I I, I don't really know. It was eight weeks when I found out. So probably a little over a month along. What were the thoughts that went through your head? Because you said that when you passed the baby, it actually looked like a baby. Do you want to go into any detail with that? How were you feeling in that moment? Uh, I don't even know. Like it was three o'clock in the morning and I was just exhausted, but, um, I kind of looked down cause I was curious mm-hmm. because I felt the, it pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and this might be TMI, but I was like really constipated. I couldn't go to the bathroom mm-hmm. um, because the miscarriage was stopping it. Um, and this was for probably a couple days. Um, so when I passed it, I was like really curious and looked down. And to me, I noticed it looked like something was really small. Like it looks like a fetus, but it was like a really small form. Cause of course it's only like a um, probably an orange sized. Mm-hmm. I don't know. To me, I saw arms and legs and a little head. Mm. I don't know how to explain that. I, I didn't, I just flushed it. I know some people probably would take it out, but I just, I don't know. I just flushed it and I wanted to forget about it. No. And, and that's how you process it. Would you say that you felt that that was just like how you had to process it? It was like the only way you knew how, would you say that that's kind of how you were thinking? Yeah. I knew it was hard for Jeff and I didn't want to make it harder for him because I felt like such a burden throughout the whole process because he was taking care of me. He was making me food. He was taking me to and from work because we worked close to each other. Um, and I just felt like I put him through enough. Through all of this, you said, you know, it's been two years. Um, and so that's, that's a lot of time. 
Um, it might not feel like it, but that is a good chunk of time. How would you say that you're processing it now? So I would say that now, like it's easy enough for me to talk about, except for now, of course, it was a little hard for me to um, yeah. write everything out because I didn't realize how it kind of brings up all those memories, I guess. But whenever somebody brings it up, it's it's easy enough for me to talk about Um it's easy enough for me to process it. If there's like somebody that says they had a miscarriage on a movie or a book, like it's still kind of hard because I understand. And so those kind of choke me up still sometimes, but it's not as uh, triggering as when it first started where I would actually stop reading the book or stop watching the movie because I just couldn't. And another important thing to remember is that you'll never be fully done processing what you went through. There will always be movies, shows, and stories that will remind you of your loss. But hopefully over time, it will be less of a sting, maybe, and like more of a memory you hold on to as you continue to process throughout the years. And thank you for being that safe place for the people in your life that need to process their own loss. They might not come out and say it, but I know they appreciate it. It means more than you'll ever know. You mentioned the a lot of those emotions came back up when you were writing out the questions and kind of going through the outline. And I wanted to add, because I, I told you this already, but I wanted to share with everybody else that when you first texted me and said, hey, I'm all done with my outline, I immediately went to check it out. And I couldn't get through like the first two paragraphs because all those emotions that I shared with you came rushing back. I hadn't thought about them sent, you know, for two years. And I remember going to my husband and there was a moment where I was like, am I going to be able to process all of these stories? Because the hope is that we're going to hear from tons of women. Am I going to be able to process those, especially that I've walked with them through it like you? Um, And the thing that just kept coming back to me is that it's going to be worth it because your story might not be exactly like somebody else's. Like, I don't think that any of our stories are going to be the exact same, but there's going to be someone that's going to have a story similar enough to yours that they will be able to say, Hey, I listened to this amazing story by this woman that had is feeling the same way as I am right now. And so I just wanted to thank you for sharing, even though we both felt it was really hard um, because I really believe that there's going to be others that are going to understand what you went through, even if it wasn't exactly the same. And they're going to be able to say, yeah, that was me too. I remember that pain. Um, And, you know, whether it was six months ago or six years ago, that pain is still so completely real. And that's something that I want to try to reiterate in every story that even if you were just six weeks along like me, or you've been trying for years and still can't get pregnant, like your story still matters. Your pain is real. And that's one of the reasons we want to do these stories and share them just because so many people, like you mentioned, you don't you didn't want to be a burden. And that might be a reason that some people don't want to share their stories because it can feel like you're unloading on people. But this isn't so much a space of unloading as a space of like helping 
carry that pain no matter how many years or months or whatever have passed. Not even the, just that, but sometimes I don't want to, as you said, un- unload my burden on other people because I don't want people to think that my problem is worse than theirs or that I'm mm. comparing anything because I've, I've heard other women that have miscarriages or stillborns that are way worse than mine. And so I don't want, I know that everybody has their own problems. And so that's why I've always, I don't like talking to everybody about that. Um, But as I talk to more women, I realized that it was good to talk about it. I think how I process it is, is being okay to talk about it with other people, letting them like, if, if it gets brought up, like being okay to listen and talk to them and also tell them my perspective and that I understand and that I went through it. Um, I think that's helped me get through it faster because I, I know that other women have gone through similar situations. And I felt exactly the same way. It was actually a problem I didn't know I would experience through my miscarriage was comparing my story to others. Because like you'll hear in my episode, I was only six weeks long. I didn't have to go to the ER. It just felt like a bad period. And so I had no idea that I would downplay my story and my loss. Mm -hmm. But through, like you said, sharing it with some of my closest friends, they validated my loss. I had a friend with her, she, I, I didn't have a name for what I passed. And she's like, you know, you can call it your baby. Like that's what it was. No matter if you were six weeks or, you know, 35 weeks, it was your baby because you had that dream. You, that dream was kindled and it was your baby. And so putting that name to it and having a title to put on it really helped. I had, that was one of those things I was like, I didn't know I was going to even feel these emotions or think these things during my uh, miscarriage. Oh yeah. And then something I didn't even realize would hit me was when my due date came along that hurt because I saw other people that we're having babies around that time. And I was like, I could have a baby right now, or my baby would be a year old, or my baby would be this age. Like that stuff you don't realize is going to hit you. And it, it does. Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. I think about that sometimes too. Like when we get together and you guys are with our little boy, I think about that too. Like I think, man, it would be really awesome like to have cousins so close together. But then I see and you're, I, you're going to get into this later on, but I see the amazing aunt and uncle that you guys are and how you guys just spoil him and you love him. And he talks about you guys so much. And so it's a different, it, this, our story looks different, but it's still so beautiful and mm-hmm. I wouldn't change it for the world. Mm-mm. Yeah. Okay. Recollect. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, <laughs> Because we're getting entirely too emotional for this. Um, No, there's no such thing as too emotional on this podcast. I just want everybody to know that. Um, (laughs) Would you say that there was a point that you got help um, kind of after everything had kind of calmed down? So there was a little bit too much that was happening in my life that year. Mm. So I did not get help for that. And I should have. Maybe I still should. I mean, I had forgotten that that happened at the same time. Um. I think you've kind of alluded to this already, but how did you cope with it afterwards? You can refer to like six months afterwards, a year, two years. Um, Something that made it easier for me and my husband to cope with about it is that we realized that we didn't actually want kids. We didn't know if that would change. Um, 
but we loved being an aunt, like we love being an aunt and uncle to your boy. Um, we love it because, um, we don't necessarily have that much patience and I don't know if we've ever even wanted to have kids in the first place. Um, we just, we have two dogs and a cat and it just doesn't seem realistic. And so I think it was easier for us to cope with us. Cause we were like, I don't think we actually wanted kids. Mm. So maybe this was a good thing. Not this, not that it was, it was mm-hmm, not, mm-hmm. but that was a, an easier way for me to cope, cope with it. No, I totally get it. I have a hard time saying that my marriage with uh, my marriage, <laughs> my, my miscarriage, <laughs> my marriage is a wonderful thing. I have a hard time saying that my miscarriage was a good thing, but every time that thought crosses my mind, I remind myself that if I didn't have my miscarriage, I wouldn't be working on this podcast. We wouldn't be able to share this tragic chapter in our lives. Like it, I really think it brought us closer together and like, like we were already very close, but I think it took (laughs) our friendship, our family connection to a deeper level. And so when I think of it in that way, I'm like, okay, that was the purpose. It, It wasn't a good thing. Yeah, uh, what resulted from it was a good thing. So I have to remind myself of that. Um, and kind of like talking about how it affected our relationships. How did it affect your other relationships with other friends or family? A lot of my friends didn't really know about it. I only told a select few. They didn't start hearing about it until probably a six months to a year after I had the miscarriage. And then I kind of just nonchalantly, oh yeah, I had one because they asked if I was, I don't remember how it would come up, but, um, I don't think it affected friendships necessarily. It actually connected me to you a lot. Um, I think you helped me through it a lot because you would ask me, how can I pray for you? And you just connected with me every week to check on me. And I really appreciated that. And I also connected with one of our good friends that comes over all the time. And she had almost exactly the same situation as me. Um, she did. I, I think she had to go to the emergency room or she just had the same contractions and everything as me, but we connected a lot on that as well. So I think in some ways it brought us closer together. Um, in regards to family, I didn't really just want to talk about it with them because it's easier to get emotional with parents. Yeah. Um, how would you say it affected your relationship with your husband? Uh, I think it got us closer together. I think for him, it terrified him. And I think that's why he doesn't want to have kids. Cause sometimes I get baby fever and I think the whole situation makes him scared to even think of that because he knows how, and how much pain I was having throughout that time, mm-hmm. how miserable I was, how I was crying all the time, how I felt like I was nauseous 24 seven. And, um, then of course the whole miscarriage situation. So I think in the end it, you know, made us closer together, um, or drew us closer to God. I don't know how you would say that we grew closer. <laughs> you grew as one. Together. We grew as one. I think we became closer after that for yeah. sure, because we went through so much together. That's, that's what I found, um, happened to us as well. My husband and I, and I think it's just another good thing that came out of such a terrible yeah. Loss. Yeah. Um, you mentioned some triggers, uh, that were hard for you to handle after the miscarriage. 
um, you can add more to that. Or were there any triggers that like you were surprised that didn't trigger you? So the triggers for me were when I was reading a book, watching a movie, watching a show and anything in regards to miscarriage or even giving birth or somebody that was pregnant. I think those were kind of all triggers for me. Something, oh, okay. Something that I didn't think would be a trigger for me is seeing other women pregnant and having kids. I think there was a time period after I had my miscarriage where in all honesty, I had to kind of get rid of Instagram and Facebook and this is probably too honest, but like when you would send pictures about uh, your boy, there was a certain period where I didn't look at those photos because it was hard for me, but it was only like um, probably within six months. And I just didn't want to see other people having kids and even just think about it. And those, that's something I didn't realize, but after the six months, it was like, oh, I'm so happy for everybody else. Like it didn't bother me at all after that. Thank you for sharing that honesty. That's something that when I was brainstorming for this podcast, something we want to emphasize is that there's no such thing as too much honesty or too much information. Like we want you to be as raw and open as you feel comfortable, because this is a place where we want to encourage others to do the same. So thank you for sharing that. And I remember feeling the exact same way. It was hard for me immediately after my miscarriage to be happy, even for those that I was close to. Um, and he was, he, and those that I didn't know, random strangers that I saw that were pregnant, I I wanted to be mad at them. Mm -hmm. Like, because like, how, how did this happen for you and not for me? And so when there wasn't that connection of a friend or a family that I saw online, um, it was very easy for me to just get so mad and frustrated when I would see, especially a mom that was pregnant with a toddler. Um, that was just, I, yeah, it, it was just this anger that you can't shake. So I totally get that. Thank you for being so honest about that. How would you say that it resolved something like this never really has a nice bow wrapped around it, but how would you say that it has resolved and where are you now? I would say I just thoroughly enjoy being an aunt, uncle. I have a new niece. Our friends have a, a six month old and of course your boy. We just love that aspect of it. And I think for now, like we're just all in on the aunt uncle and enjoying so much of it, getting toys for them, spoiling them. Like, I think that's the life that we choose. And I even had a conversation with your aunt Carla about, did she ever regret, regret not having kids? Because we've talked about getting Jeff fixed, but I think for now, enjoying that, enjoying the aunt uncle life of it personally. And you guys are amazing at it. <laughs> we love it. Yeah. It's hard to put into one nice little box what was the most difficult part of it all. But if you could kind of narrow it down, was there one part that was more difficult that was the most difficult of all? I would say there's two that are the most difficult hearing the news but probably the most difficult part of it was the contractions. They were the most painful and the whole emergency room visit. I think that whole day was, um, I feel like I get kind of PTSD from it sometimes mm -hmm. in a sense. Mm -hmm. I would say that was probably the hardest, but 
also hearing about it is hard. I would say it's probably the whole day of the emergency room and the contractions is the, was the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Cause it was all encompassing. There wasn't anything to distract you. That was all your mind could focus on right then. Yeah. Um, on, and this is something we ask everybody on a scale of one to 10, where are you today? I'm probably at like an, I would say an 80, 90. I think this conversation is of course hard to, hard to talk about, but I'm glad that we're talking about it. Um, but I would say I'm at like an 80 or 90%. Okay. So like an eight or eight or nine, eight or nine. Eight or nine yes. Yeah. I like the percentage that you added on there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What resources throughout this journey have you found to be helpful? I don't think I used any resources. I think I might be the only one that probably didn't do that, but I don't think I really, I think Jeff probably looked up stuff for me, um, Mm -hmm. but I did not use any resources that I can think of Mm -hmm. except for like, talking about it, maybe to friends and family or other women. Those were the only resources I used. So thank you so much, Brie, for sharing your story. I know it wasn't easy, but I'm so thankful that you chose to share it with me. I feel like this is just another way that connects us. And I'm just, I'm so proud of you for where you and Jeff are now and how far you've come and just the example of taking a terrible chapter of your lives and turning it into something that um you have recovered from i think you know obviously there's always going to be a healing process but you guys have turned it into being the best aunt and uncle that our little one could ever have um (laughs) and we're just so thankful for you guys we love you guys so much and thanks again for sharing with me today thank you for having me we'll see you later see ya now you can leave me (laughs) (laughs) bye bye